Point Fellowship. We are so glad that you're joining us this morning, whether you're in-house or you're online. Um, you know, we had a crazy week, Phil. Had an absolute crazy week. I don't know if anybody else ever has crazy weeks, but every time I have a crazy week, it feels really nice to be able to come in here on a Sunday morning and just worship and be amongst people that I like. I like you guys, I promise. Um, I know I'm accused of not smiling enough when I preach, but I'll do my best. I'll do better. But we are so glad that you're here this morning. Hopefully this morning as we worship and praise and we go over the Bible and just see what Jesus has for us this morning, you will find the joy in it that I do. We are so glad that you're with us. Stand and worship with us now. Well, not, not quite yet. That's, not don't quite go yet. Yeah, today is Pastor Appreciation Day. Oh. And we, we, got, we got you thank something you. nice. We, we do so appreciate you. So um, well, thank you so much for everything that you do for the church, well, from you. preaching to um, you know, helping us through the hard times. And it's been a hard year for a lot of us. So uh, you really mean a lot to us. So well, thank you. Uh, we got you, uh, pulled some resources, got you a gift. And we also put together a video. Um, credits go to Jake, Jake and Chelsea for putting it together, but the kids wow. um, ha- put, put a video together just for you. So we really? love you. Um, go ahead and roll that, that video. <laughs> All right, do, do we appreciate Pastor Paul? He's our, he's our guy, we love you, man. So thanks again to Jake and Chelsea for putting that video together. That was awesome. So, and, and to our kids, of course, uh, for answering all those tough, qu- tough, tough questions. We, I promise you we do pay Paul more than $50 a week. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's not a million. Uh, not quite. Go ahead and stand with me. Let's sing together. Yeah. 
you a new song that uh, kind of goes along with what we just sang um, called There's Nothing That Our God Can't Do. This is one that we've been uh, had for a long time and we're just now getting to teach it to you. So uh, with, I think you'll really enjoy the lyrics of it. Just uh, as soon as you can jump in with us, go ahead and sing with us. surrounds me Just one word The darkness has to retreat Just one touch I feel the presence of heaven Just one touch we're open to see my heart can't help but believe there's nothing that our God can't do there's not a mountain that he can move oh praise the name that makes a way there's nothing that our God can't do just one word you hear what's broken inside me Just one word, and you revive every dream. Just one touch, I feel the power of heaven. Just one touch, my eyes were open to see. My heart can't help but believe. There's nothing that a God can do. There's not a mountain that he can't move. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a prison wall he can't break through. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. 
for greater things there's no power like the power of Jesus let faith arise let all agree there's no power like the power of Jesus I will believe for greater things there's no power like the power of Jesus let faith arise let all agree there's no power like the power of Jesus I will believe for greater things there's no power like the power of Jesus let faith arise let all agree there's no power like his power there's nothing that our God can do no there's not a mountain that he can move oh praise the name Thanks for singing with us. Have a seat. Good morning uh, again. For those of you that don't know, if you use your phone's camera, most of them now are fitted with a QR, scan, QR code scanner. It'll automatically kind of take you to that uh, website there and to for better or worse, it's kind of like a member's site. So anything you want to know about our church, things that are going down, events that are coming up, you'll find information about it on there. A uh, couple announcements that we do have for you today that we want to uh, just let you know. Today was originally slated to be a family Sunday. And as of a few minutes ago, before service started, I started thinking about it because I should have thought about it sooner. But I started thinking about it then and realized that today's content may not exactly be the most kid-friendly. So... Jerrica is going to take the kids <clears throat> with Jessica outside, and they're going to go over a lesson with them today. They'll have some things for them to do out there. So outside, we'll have our kids area this morning. It's how we have been doing it the past couple weeks. But I do have an exciting announcement, and that's this, that next week, our children's area is going to open back up. Now, there's a few stipulations that go along with that. First and foremost, there's not going to be a nursery. Okay, the nursery will not be open as of yet. Uh, we're going to wait a little longer on that. And the reason being is because kids are going to be required to wear a mask while they're over there. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to separate kids into two rooms to try to give them room and space to spread out a little bit and to make sure that they don't have to be kind of cooped up with one another. But we are asking that they wear masks while they're over there. I know that's kind of a difficult task. Uh, that's why we aren't doing the nursery because it's near impossible to ask those kids to do that. Um, and that's been Chelsea's decision, and I fully support her on that. So... It is going to open up next week. I'm excited about that. I know Chelsea's excited about that. She's on vacation this week, uh, her and Jake and Ava, and so they'll be with us next week, and we're excited to have them back. But plan and prepare for that. Our kids' area will be open. We do ask that they wear masks. Um, I don't know if you guys have known, but there are some great things going on over in our children's area with the Gospel Project and different things that we've been doing. And uh, I cannot speak 
highly enough about the job that Chelsea's doing. So next week, the kids' area is officially back open. Uh, we are going to do, like I said, the kids' area right now outside, and we're going to take a connection break. Grab yourself some coffee pumpkin cake, right? Is that, no, just coffee, apple. I'm so sorry. I knew there was like some sort of vegetable-y fruit thing involved. It's apple coffee cake, and Zoe made it, so I can guarantee you it's going to be delicious. Grab some of that, use your restroom, do whatever. You've got five minutes, ready, go. We are in week six of our series, Beatitudes and Beyond, and uh, as we get started, you'll see why we sent the kids uh, to their own area this morning, because today we're going to be talking about Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 32, which covers divorce and adultery. And so uh, thought maybe that wasn't the best topic to have involved in. I didn't think you guys wanted to quite answer some questions uh, yet that maybe you weren't ready or had to answer. So that's why they're doing their own thing. Now, divorce and adultery, unfortunately, are all too common experiences in our world. And um, I would like to stand before you and say that inside the church, these issues aren't as common. And the good news is I actually can. Um, now, let me explain. So for years and years and years, we've heard that 50% number, right? Like 50% of marriages end in, in divorce. And inside the church, it's no better. But they've started to do more research over the topic in the past couple years, and they found that that's not necessarily the case. The actual divorce rate, uh, according to a number of studies, I did loads and loads of research this week. I mean, I spent hours over this topic because I think it's important to get it right and to make sure that um, I'm delivering the best information that I can. But the actual divorce rate, just all over total, is about 33 to 43%, depending on the study that you look at. Now, the divorce rate for Christians is about 30%, and that is important. It's important for me to say that that's just people that claim that, hey, I'm a Christian, right? So that rate is 30%. Now, of the people that regularly attend service one to two times a week, that drops by 50%. It's about 15% among those folks. Uh, so it's less than that. And overall, I would say good. Now, these numbers come according to George Barna of the Barna Research Group, Dr. Brad Wilcox of the National Marriage Product Project, and a Harvard-trained social researcher named Shanti Feldhahn. Uh, now, this is what I would argue, though. I would say that one divorce is one too many. Um, and we'll talk about that as we go. But uh, beyond that as well, adultery should never, ever happen. Now, these are matters of the heart and the soul. And today is my delicate and yet completely forthright attempt at addressing them. And so whether you're married or you're not married or you may be married again or you're thinking about marriage in the future, if you're here or you're at home, this sermon is for you. Now, we're going to be in Matthew 25, 27. As I said, we'll start there. It says, you've heard it said... To those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for the whole body to be cast into hell. Similar to what we discussed the past couple weeks, God is taking things above and beyond the teaching of his day, at least the teaching that the Pharisees were teaching to the people. So what they really focused on was the physical act of adultery, right? If you did the physical act of adultery, you physically committed adultery with another person, then that was a sin. 
But Christ is going above and beyond that. He's taking it to the next step. He's saying that it's not just about the act. It's about why the act itself was committed. Now, that's a matter of the heart. That's a matter of the soul. That's because sin has entered our world and because sin corrupts us as we live throughout our lives. And so that's why it takes place. So Christ is digging down deeper into that. He's saying it's not so much about the physical act. He's not saying the physical act is okay. Let's be clear. Okay. He's not saying that's okay, but he's saying, why did that act take place in the first place? Why did that act take first place in the first place? And the thing he goes on to teach us is that adultery starts with the eye, right? Adultery starts with the eye. It's vision. It's, it's seeing someone else, okay, admiring the way they look, the way they live their life, the job that they have, the money that they make, the car that they drive, the fact that they seem that they have it all put together, okay? It starts with just our visual perception of another person. And then it goes into the mind. It goes into, well, I like all these things about him. I wonder what it would be like if, and then we start going down this really bad path where we start kind of pulling away from our spouse emotionally and we start kind of leaning into that person emotionally because we like what they seem to put out and offer and maybe we're disliking currently what is happening in our lives and maybe we have a really good reason to dislike it, but that act is still wrong. And Christ is going on to say that, hey, even that act of just viewing someone else in that manner, that's lust. That, that, then it turns into adultery. And, and so we have to fight against that. So it starts in our eyes and then goes to our mind. And when we lust, it's just sinful and it's frankly dirty. And typically when we recognize that that's what's happening, what happens? We feel really bad. We feel really guilty. We feel really awful about ourselves. And, and here's the thing. Just by that act, right, we talked about it. Just by looking, just by seeing, just by thinking about what it would be like, we commit that act of adultery then we sin, and here's the thing. Things just got really serious for us because our culture teaches us that it's okay to window shop, right? Let's be honest. You can look at somebody else, and you can appreciate all these things about them, and you can even wonder as long as you don't touch, right? You, you can really do whatever you want. Just, just don't break that physical barrier. Well, that's, that's how the Pharisees taught things, and Jesus is there to say absolutely, positively not. There's absolutely something wrong with that view. Jesus makes it very clear that not only is it wrong, but it would be better to gouge out our own eye than to allow our vision to lead us into sin. And it would be better to cut off our hand if our hand was leading us into sin. Now, for those of you that don't understand, quite frankly, this is an exaggeration. I want to be clear. Jesus isn't like literally saying, hey, go stab your eye out because you sinned. But what he is saying is that it would be better for that to take place than for you to end up in hell. That, that's his gist. That, that's his conclusion. It would be better for you to do without these different parts of your body. If they were leading you into hell, then, then to get rid of them and not have that issue. And so really what he's saying is, if something causes you to sin, then do something to remove it from your life, right? If you're an alcoholic, you shouldn't buy alcohol. You shouldn't go to bars. You shouldn't do those things that will lead you into your sin. If you're somebody who's a pickpocket, you like to steal Maybe you're a kleptomaniac a little bit. There's some rush you like about taking something, even if it's something small. I just stole a candy bar, <laughs> right? Like, first of all, don't understand it, but that's not my sin, and so maybe I won't understand it. But, it. but if you're one of those folks, hey, maybe when you go to a store, make sure you have somebody with you, somebody that can keep you accountable, somebody can say, hey, what are you doing, you idiot? Put that back, right? Like, we, we need to guard against our sin. I've been very open in the past that the sin that I unfortunately struggle with in my life and have my whole life is lust. 
And so I have taken steps. I've done everything that I possibly can to make sure that things that have harmed me in the past and have harmed my relationship with Jerick in the past, my relationship with women in the past, my relationship with God in the past, my relationship with my own self-esteem in the past, I've done things to protect against that, right? I have filters on our DNS and our internet and all of my devices, and there's things that I, even if I willfully wanted to look at, if I typed it in, I can't because I blocked against that, Right? Did that, did that remove the issue inside of my heart? No, it didn't. No, it didn't. But did it protect me from walking into sin when I'm struggling with those issues? Yes, it did. So all I'm saying is if there's certain different sins that you struggle with in life, put up walls, put up barriers, find a way to protect yourself from committing those things because it would be better for you to do without the eye and do without the hand than to let those things lead you into sin. After Jesus gets done talking about adultery, he goes on to speak about divorce. In Matthew 35, 31, and 32, it says, Furthermore, it has been said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. So Christ goes on with his sermon. It's a natural kind of transition because oftentimes what leads you into adultery is lust right? It's kind of just how the transition goes. And so Jesus then goes on to talk about divorce and, and the, the just that whole experience and, and how we should not as Christians push towards that in our lives, okay? And he goes on to explain that, hey, if we divorce our wife, then, then we're causing her to sin. We're, we're causing her to be an adulterer. And if someone else ends up marrying our wife that we had, then, then we cause them to sin as well. And so here this is, we, we have this responsibility for others that we maybe never even thought of, uh, but here it comes. And so he provides one exception. He talks about this. He says sexual immorality. Now the question is, and my job as a pastor is, and the question that I get off so, asked so often is, is that the only reason that I can seek a divorce? Is sexual immorality the only thing that I can seek a divorce for? And that's what we're going to talk about today. That's the question that many want answered. So let me first say this. There's two widely accepted reasons for divorce. The first is found in this passage, and in others, it's sexual immorality, right? Sexually immoral. So infidelity, pornography addiction, um, things along those lines, sexual sins, repeated sexual sins, okay? That may be grounds for divorce. But it, the second is this. It's abandonment. The second is abandonment. Now, these are the two widely accepted reasons. And they get abandonment from Exodus 21, 10 through 11, which says, if he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing, and marital rights. If he does not provide her with these things, she is to go free without any payment of money. So that's Old Testament. That's in Exodus. That's when you could marry more than one woman. And they're talking about, hey, if you marry another woman, you can't deprive the first of these three things, her food, her clothing, or her marital rights. In 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 15, which sold this. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother and sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. So beyond these two things, beyond the sexual morality, 
and the abandonment, it gets a little murky. And so the question is, does God allow divorce for immorality only, and does he allow divorce for abandonment only? I would argue that those two things are clear, concise in Scripture. If you have questions about them, you can always ask me. But those two things, okay, and we'll dig in a little deeper, are reasons that we could validly and biblically seek a divorce, okay? So hold on with me because, again, like I said, I've done a ton of research. I've dug into Scripture. I've been all over the place looking at different titans of biblical theology and their thoughts. And I will tell you this, they range very widely on everything. And so I'll, I'll explain what I believe and where my thoughts are and tell you frankly that you will find thoughts that are more extreme than mine and far less than extreme. Extreme I don't like is the term, but, but we in the church so often look at divorce as you could never divorce. You should never divorce. It should only be for these this one thing or maybe these two things. And, and if you do for any outside reason, then you're a terrible, awful person. You should feel bad about yourself. And I'm here to fight against that, okay, quite frankly. So there's two camps. One camp says immorality and abandonment, the only outs. There's a second camp that says there's other viable reasons. Uh, you will find, as I said, titans of biblical scholarship on both sides of the argument. People that are more intelligent than I could ever hope to be people that can read the Bible in so many different languages and the original text and have found Dead Sea Scrolls and have done like some amazing, th I'm telling you, it would blow your mind. But you will find those types of people on both sides of this argument. As for me, I'm in the second camp. I'll just lay it out there. I believe that there is reason for divorce outside of abandonment and sexual immorality. I do. And I'll go on to explain. Uh, so present my case. In Matthew 19.3, Okay, we have the Pharisees coming and approaching Jesus, and they asked Jesus something. They said, uh, it says, some of the Pharisees came to test him, and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? The question there reflects a teaching that was around decades before Jesus' ministry, and it was a teaching of a group of rabbis called the Hillelites. I didn't pronounce that right, I'm sure. Okay, the Hillelites, a group of rabbis. And what they basically taught is that uh, you could divorce your wife for any cause. There was this any cause divorce that they had created. And their argument derived from Deuteronomy 24.1, which says this, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. And then it goes on to talk about like the different things that he can and can't do. But this is where they get that teaching from that one line that says, if he marries a, a woman who becomes displeasing to him and finds something indecent about her. So that word there for the indecent about her, it was not the same word as sexual immorality. And their argument was, if God was just talking about sexual immorality, he would have said sexual immorality. But he said something that, that, that is indecent, right? Or a thing of nakedness is the literal, uh, the literal translation, which would lead me to think sexual immorality, right? But they take it above and beyond, and they say, well, any, the, the, he's not talking specifically about that. He's really saying anything. Anything that makes you displeased with your wife, you can leave her for. So literally, she burned breakfast, right? Or, hey, she's got a wrinkle now that she didn't have when I married her. Or the all-too-popular in our day and age, irreconcilable differences, right? For any reason that you find that all of a sudden you are displeased with, you can leave your spouse for that reason. That was their teaching. And so when, when the Pharisees are asking this question, it's my belief, and it's the belief of many other biblical titans of theology, I'm going to use that term again, that what they are talking about is that any cause divorce. 
that any cause divorce. Okay? And so Jesus immediately shuts this down with his response in Matthew 19, 4 through 6. I think I gave you guys the wrong passage. So I said Matthew 5 because I've been in Matthew 5. It's not Matthew 5. It's Matthew 19. So we probably don't have it on the screen. I suggest looking it up in a Bible app or on your Bible. But this is what Matthew 19, 4 through 6 says. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning of the creation, or at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said... For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. It's important to note here that I believe that what Jesus was speaking out against was the any cause divorce and not a divorce for any cause. That distinction is important. Right? The any cause divorce says I can divorce my wife or my husband for anything and everything. Where the other, a divorce for any cause, is saying that there's no reason whatsoever that a divorce should take place. That's not, I believe, what Jesus is saying in this passage. Okay? I don't think biblically that that is what's there. And so, the distinction, while very important, also teaches us this. That, that biblically, you can't get a divorce for any old reason, right? Jesus makes that very clear here. It's not just on a whim. It's not any displeasing feeling you say it's not even a a prolonged difficulty maybe you guys have been fighting a lot more lately maybe there's been some arguments maybe you're not seeing eye to eye on a certain decision that you have to make in life all those things not a reason to divorce society would say go and do your own thing right christianity no way jose it's it says that no it doesn't i was gonna say it says that in the bible that's not true it's a joke um here's the thing just because we can't divorce for any and every reason does not mean that there aren't reasons for it to take place. So let's look back at Exodus 21, the verse I read earlier. Exodus 21, 10 and 11. If he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing, and marital rights. If he does not provide her with these three things, she is to go free without any payment of money. That was the rest of the verse. Now here, early Jews believed that within marriage you had three basic rights. Food, clothing, and love. And your husband was to provide those things for you. And neglect of any of these three things could result in a divorce. And these rights, it's important to say, were for everyone. Okay? They were for all people. Jews, non-Jews, slaves. Everybody was deserving of these three rights. Food, clothing, and love. And, And these three things became the foundation for Jewish marriage vows and they have, they have formally translated into what we have as vows now that say this. Uh, our, vo- our vows now formally listed as love, honor, and keep. And we tie those in with sexual faithfulness. And those have been the basis of a godly marriage for ages and ages. Since here in Exodus 21. Now, it's my belief that when we state these vows on our wedding day, we're entering a binding godly contract to provide these things for one another. And Paul goes on to explain in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that love and marital support are both obligations of marriage. What he doesn't explicitly say is that if those things are not met, if those vows that we took are not kept, that you can divorce. But Paul didn't have to because to his audience, to the Jewish people, to those that he was teaching, they understood. It was on their marriage certificates that they found 
near the Dead Sea, old marriage certificates, part of old ancient literature, that these three things were marital rights. So Paul didn't have to explain to the people that if these three things were taken from them, if these three things were not provided, that a divorce could took place, it was understood, they knew it. Okay? So he goes on to say that divorce for neglect is a thing. Divorce for neglect is a thing. So if we are neglecting our spouse's marital rights, if we are not providing marital support for them, if we are not giving them love, those are bound, those are good reasons for divorce. Okay? I also want to state this, that divorce for neglect also includes divorce for abuse. Physical, sexual, emotional, you are not to be abused. First and foremost, that directly goes against the oneness doctrine that Jesus taught about, right? For a man is supposed to leave his family and a wife leave her family and the two become one flesh and they become one. Well, anytime you physically abuse your wife, sexually abuse your wife, emotionally abuse your wife, or vice versa, because it can happen the other way too, Anytime a wife does those three things for you, you are breaking that oneness doctrine. You're breaking the very foundation of what marriage is supposed to be. And you're breaking those vows that you committed before God and family and friends on the day of your marriage. And I will tell you here today that abuse is the absolute most extreme form of neglect. So if you need a list, if we're like, Pastor, give us a list. What are the things we can get divorced for? This is what I would tell you. Abandonment, infidelity, sexual immorality, neglect, abuse, physical and emotional and sexual and any other type. Okay? Abuse should not take place. Essentially, whenever our wedding vows are broken, the marriage is in danger of being broken up. And it's my belief that a spouse has a biblical supported case for that to take place. But it's important for me to say that just because divorce is an option doesn't mean that it has to be the option, okay? Just because divorce is an option, it doesn't mean that it is the option. As in any case of a broken contract, the wrong party can choose to forgive and choose to move on with the contract, with the relationship. That can take place. And I want to be very clear here this morning that I am not advocating for divorce. I'm not. Divorce is the nuclear option. Divorce is the I have no other route to take. I've tried everything else option. It's not a get out of jail free card. It's not this is tougher than I thought it would be and I don't want to do it anymore. Okay? It's not, hey, you know what? He's mean to me sometimes, or she's mean to me sometimes, or we had an argument and I didn't like it, or a lot of other things. You need to understand when we're talking about these things, we're talking about prolonged patterns of these things taking place. Now, I'll be frank with you and be honest with you. Sexual immorality, I think that's one for the most part, that can be forgiven and moved past. Sometimes you can't, and I understand that. That's a personal conscious decision that you have to make that, that you should make with you and God, okay? Infidelity, frankly, I believe, is an immediate out. 
I'm not telling you to do it, but I'm telling you that you have grounds right then and there that if your spouse broke that contract and had a sexual relationship with someone else, that I believe you are more than okay and more than free to get a divorce. I think scripture lays that out. But just because that is an option doesn't mean that it has to be. And those things can be forgiven. If you're experiencing abuse, that's another one where I would advise you as a pastor, you need to go. People ask me, he's physically abused me. You need to get out of there. He emotionally abuses me. He, well, hey, that could turn physical any moment. Those things typically have a pattern of escalation. And just because he hasn't done it before doesn't mean that he won't do it eventually. And I need to say vice versa too. Just because she hasn't done it before doesn't mean that it will eventually happen. Okay? So, so in those instances, at the very least, you need to separate from those situations and try to find a way to get counseling and work through those issues. But man, if it's physical, in my opinion, you got to go. I want to be clear on that. I'm not standing up here before you and saying that divorce is easy. It's not. I think it has to be the last option. Like I said, it's the nuclear option, but sometimes the situation may call for that because listen, it's going to change life as you know it. And I know that those opportunities and those decisions that we have to make that are that difficult Man, they are overwhelming. They are hard. They are painful. There's a lot of unknown. But it is better to live life outside of that situation than to stay in it just because you are literally reading the Bible and saying, well, the Bible only says this, and so that's my only option. There's also a measure of the character of God and the other scripture that he has given us that we can view together and study the ancient scriptures and study ancient writings and see that it goes beyond that. And I think that there is a logical and biblical argument for that to, at times, necessarily take place. Again, divorce, guys, I'm going to say this because I know how tough it is. I, I came from a divorced home. My parents were divorced. It was hard on all of us. It was hard on them. Okay? I think to this day, it's still hard on them. I think to this day, it's still hard on us in many ways. But, but I think that they made a biblical decision, although a tough one. And I'm not going to get into details, but in that situation, I think it was necessary. And there's still so much love between all parties. And my parents have done a really good job of being divorced parents and putting kids and grandkids first before all other things. They've done an amazing job of that. And I could never tell them thank you enough for it. But it completely changed the way that we were living our lives. And I fully believe that if there was any other option in that instance, it would have been taken. But the option that I don't think that you should take is to sit and stay and suffer because somehow you think that's the right thing to do. Because what ends up happening is that your children, if there are children, get a very skewed view of what marriage is supposed to be. And if you as a woman or a man are being treated poorly, you're teaching your son or your daughter that that's normal. And if you as a man or a woman are treating your spouse in a way that you shouldn't, you're teaching your son or your daughter that it is normal to treat a future spouse that way. And the obligation inside of a marriage, especially when children come into the picture, goes above and beyond yourselves.
goes above and beyond yourselves. And so <clears throat> divorce is the last option, and I believe that it can only be biblically considered on the basis that we have covered here today. And I will tell you that divorce, for any other reason outside of those reasons, I believe is a sin. And that sin is adultery, which is why divorce must be considered meticulously. And it must be viewed as an absolute last result. But also, just because that's the case doesn't mean that there's not a reason in your life that you may need to seek out that plan of action, as tough and as hard as it may be. Pray constantly if you're struggling with those decisions right now, okay? Pray constantly. Seek wisdom of your pastor. Seek wisdom of God. Seek wisdom of your friends. Seek wisdom of other people that you know that were, have gotten divorced. Because I think a lot of people would look at the divorce that, that they had if they looked at it through these lenses and would say, you know, it really wasn't a biblical divorce. There really wasn't a reason for me to get divorced. If that's taken place and it's moved on and they're remarried, there's nothing you can do about trying to reconcile those things. Okay, but I would just say that make sure that we are prayerfully considering this type of major alter, life-altering decision. And if anyone in this room is for some reason considering that, whether your spouse knows or not, I would say that I believe that you need to come talk to me. And we need to look at scripture together and we need to look at research together and we need to figure out if that reason for divorce is a real reason that you could and maybe should get divorced for, or if it's just, hey, you're having a tough time right now, and there's some other things that you need to do before you even possibly consider that. Because it will change your whole life. And it's not an easy decision to make. And I could say that over and over and over again, and my daughter said I could preach for an hour and 30 minutes, so I may just keep repeating <laughs> those things. One thing I do want you to know, whether you're in this room or you're at home watching, I want you to know this. As a pastor and as a church, we love divorced people. And the reason I say that is because sometimes in life we do things that are sinful and we think that somehow the church hates us now and doesn't want us to be a part of it and doesn't want to be involved with us. And I'm telling you that at least for Crosspoint Fellowship, that's not the case. And for me, that's not the case. Past sin does not make the person. I want to be very clear on that. Past sin does not make the person. And there is forgiveness to be had at the feet of Jesus and at the feet of God. And you will find no judgment for me because you found life difficult and at times unbearable. And you didn't know how else to go on except the way that you chose to move on. So understand that if that's you today, I, I don't deliver this sermon because I want you to feel bad. I don't deliver this sermon to make you feel guilty about anything. I don't deliver this sermon because I dislike you or I want to call you out or anything like that. I'm not, that's not the reason. But it's in the Bible, and it's important for us to cover, and it's important for us to dissect, and it's important for us to understand. 
because maybe someday you'll be responsible for counseling somebody through that really awful, tough situation in their life. And at least now I think you have a foundation of something that you can lean back to and say, well, hey, this is what my pastor thought, and this is kind of what I think, and this is what I think it says biblically. And I'll say this lastly, okay? I'll say this lastly. This is one of those topics where I don't believe that Scripture is necessarily black and white on. I think that it does provide some things that are black and white, but I don't think that it covers the entire topic in a way. There's no part of the Bible where it just said, divorce, here's why you can, here's why you shouldn't. You know, do you guys understand that? So at the end of the day, <clears throat> it's a matter of personal conscience. When I say that, it's a matter between you and the Holy Spirit. It's a matter between you and God. And it, the one thing that you owe to yourself in those situations, in any situations, this goes for anything. It's not just about divorce and adultery, okay? It's not about those things. In any situation, the thing that you owe to yourself is to carry that situation to God and to make sure that you give God the time that God deserves in those instances, okay? And, and that you take the time to be still and listen and get wisdom. Because at the end of the day, while you sin against other people and the things that you may do, ultimately what you do, you're doing is separating yourself from God. And so we have to just make sure that our conscience is clear when we approach these things. I really do feel like I could talk, like this for, talk about this subject for a really long time. I, as I said, I did a ton of research, but I'm going to shut up because I think I've said enough. I've given you enough to think about. I've given you enough to contemplate. Um, if you have any questions, if you want to come tell me that I'm stupid and you disagree, feel free because there's things on both sides, like I said, and we can talk about those things. But um, otherwise, let's stand and let's worship God here, man. I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to pour our hearts and souls out to Jesus here. So, Lord, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. Uh, God, this is a tough topic to approach, and there was a large part of me that wanted to run from it. There was a large part of me that said, well, I know that I'm covering Matthew chapter 5, but I'll just skip these two sections and we'll move beyond it. Uh, but Lord, I felt like you were calling me to speak on it and, and you were leading me down a path to address it. And Lord, I, I have done my best to faithfully uh, and, and prayerfully consider the words that came out of my mouth today. And, and I did my best to make sure that you were involved in everything. But um, Lord, I would pray that if there's any error in what I said, that you would convict my heart of it and that you would also... Uh, frankly, just erase it from people's memories so that they don't have wrong information. But at the end of the day, I lay myself out as a vessel before you. Uh, and God, I pray that we all do that, that we all lay ourselves out as vessels before you, that you uh, can just lead and guide and direct our steps as we live our lives. Lord, we have to make terrible, awful, tough situations as human uh, decisions as human beings. We find ourselves in situations that we don't necessarily know how to deal with or, or what the right thing to do is, but I know this. I know that you are a good and loving God and that you have all the knowledge that anyone could ever help to possess. And so, God, I pray that you in these tough situations that we face in life can lay it on our hearts to just involve you. And, and to prayerfully consider your word and your character and what it is that you are leading us to do. At the end of the day, it's a matter of personal conscience. Some people out there today are looking to flee a marriage that they have no business leaving. And I would pray that you convict them of that and help them to look inside themselves and view their heart and view their soul and view their motivations behind those actions. 
God, there are people out there listening today that are in marriages, and frankly, they need to get out. They are being abused. They are being mistreated. Their wedding vows are not being kept, and it has been this way for so long. And they have sought help, and they have discussed it with their spouse, and they've done everything they know to do, and now, God, they are doing nothing but living in misery, and, and they're thinking of ways to just get out of life, not just the marriage. And God, they need to move on beyond that. And so I would pray in those situations that you give those people peace and strength and the nudge that they need to flee a marriage that is abusive and detrimental to the way that they're supposed to live life and that doesn't align with your godly character. Finally, Lord, help us to as spouses, love one another more than we love anything else. To understand the call that you've placed on our lives, that as husbands, we are supposed to be self-sacrificing and lay ourselves down for our wives, just like Christ laid down his life for the church. And in response, how we as wives are supposed to sacrifice our desires and our thoughts to submit to the leadership of a loving husband who is providing all of the things that you say that we need to. Again, help us to be seekers of peace and harmony. And help us to, to use this knowledge in a godly way to help those in our lives and around our world that are struggling so much right now with these issues. We ask for all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. I'm going to be down front. I'm going to be worshiping. If you need to come pray with me, come do so. If you want to have a conversation at some point, we can either get a time set up where we can do it on a different day or we can talk here after church. If you want to talk about becoming a member of our church, please, by all means, do that before you leave. If you need to know Jesus, if you say to yourself right now, you recognize that Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, that you don't know him, do not leave this place without at least starting that conversation with me because I truly believe that it will be the most important decision that you ever make. If you're online right now and you're watching and you're saying to yourself, I don't know Jesus, contact me through Facebook. Otherwise, stand with us now and just worship God. Lay everything out at his feet.
word in our life. We need God to speak to us and um, to say even the hard things, right? So, say the things that, that, that are hard for us to understand, say the things that are hard for us to, to hear. Um, this, this weekend, I was reading in my Bible, and um, Jesus was saying um, that there are many out there that ha- have ears, but they don't hear. There are many out there that have eyes, but they don't see. And um, when I read that passage this week, I said, God, let, let that not be true of me. I, I don't ever want to be the person that would hear, but not really hear, not really understand. Um, it's a hard teaching today, right? But it is, God, it is God's word to us. It is God's, um, God knows the things that are in our hearts. God knows the things that we would wrestle with, and he would speak to us about these things. It's amazing to me. Um, God is so good to us. We're going to sing one more song um, t- together this morning before we go. And it's a, a song we'll, we'll probably sing again before the series is over. It's been, I think, kind of an anthem, I think, for the series that we've been in um, called Christ Be Magnified. Um, this whole series, this whole Matthew 5 thing has been about how can we magnify God in us? How can we be uh, everything that God is asking us to be? Um, we want God's uh, truth and, and, and everything that he has to speak to this world to be true of us. Uh, speak what is true, right? That's what that's what we've been uh, learning about in this passage. So let's sing this one, one last song together. Um, I'm going to pray uh, briefly for the, the offering, and then uh, you'll have a chance to give as you leave this morning. There'll be a box in the back um, that's locked that you can uh, uh, tithe in that box if you'd like, or you can give online. Let's pray. God, um, we, th- we thank you so much for your word. We would be lost without it. We would have no idea the rules of this world, the rules of this life, the things that, that bring our, our joy and our peace and our happiness. Lord, they come from you. They come from your decisions because you created everything. You, you, you created humans. You know what we need and you know that what we desire and, and you try to protect us with every word that you pen. And so God, I, I thank you for this teaching this morning. Um, it's uh, it inspired us. It's, it's uh, challenged us. Um, and we know that there's forgiveness, Lord. When we've messed up, we know that, that there's forgiveness and love, and that is here um, in this church as well. We thank you for that. Lord, as we um, give our tithes and our offerings to you, Lord, we give it to a God who, who loves us, calls us his own, that will never leave us, never forsake us. You will never turn your back on us. You will never um, uh, be untrue to what you said you would do. Your love for us is always true. Lord, help us to be to live our lives in such a way that magnifies you. And so we give, Lord, to you this morning. We sing to you this last song this morning. Uh, be magnified in us. With a thousand tongues to lift one cry Then from north to south and east to west We'd hear Christ be magnified Were the whole echoing his his name would burst from sea and sky, from rivers to the mountain tops. We'd hear cries be magnified.
this morning. Um, yeah, go ahead, Paul. Um, I don't want to carry on a sermon after I stopped the sermon, but there is something that I want to say. My, today, this morning, I tried to present a case to show you the logic and the fact and the biblical precedence behind why you 
may need to make a tough decision or why it would be okay for you to make a tough decision. But I also want to make sure that I, I make clear the restorative power of Jesus. If you're struggling right now with a spouse, whether it's here in the house or at home, pray for them every day. Every day, pray for them. Pray that God works in their heart. Pray that God changes their mind. Pray that God changes their attitudes and the ways that they live their life. Okay? I'm, I'm not advocating up here to just give up on somebody. I'm not, I'm not doing that. And I, I want you to understand, too, that while my approach this morning may have seemed cold and logical at the time, I realized that this is a matter. Both of these things are matters of the heart and that there's so much feeling intertwined with how tough that decision is. And I want you to know that while I maybe didn't do that justice this morning because I was just trying to lay out facts and I only have so much time, um, I understand that it's tough, okay? And I understand that all life situations aren't easy. There's so much intertwined with it. And so, guys, I I, I just want to encourage you that if you're struggling with these things in life, make sure that you're praying about it. Make sure that you get help with it. Make sure that you have somebody praying for you and praying for them. And just know that Jesus can change all things, all things. If he can remove the leper spots and if his blood can forgive our sin, he can certainly affect your situation for the better as well. So, again, I just want to make that clear. And if I didn't do a good enough job about that, and you're thinking to yourself, it's not that easy, Pastor, I do want you to know I understand that. I do. Um, So, I guess I just didn't want you to think I was cold and and (laughs) not feeling in in this. But um, I felt like God was telling me to make that clear. So, Phil, continue. I was just going to say thank you for um, being here, and um, we're going to continue the the series. There's more to talk about in, in Matthew 5, more uh, challenges from Christ. So uh, don't miss next week. Um, the next couple of weeks, we're, we're going to finish up the series, and then we'll uh, move on to some really exciting things in, in November. So um, good to be here with you this morning. Good to be with you online. Thanks for joining us this morning, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>